Today's interview is with Bob Moriarty of 321 Gold. As always, controversial and enlightening. I hope you enjoy this conversation. As always, beneath this piece of content, there is a link where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter. I publish every Sunday. I love writing it and it's free. Why wouldn't you do this? Join the team, hit that link, and join 30,000 other investors that hear from me every Sunday. Here is Bob Moriarty. Enjoy. All right, welcome back to The Jay Martin Show. My guest today is Bob Moriarty back on the channel. Bob, it's really great to have you back. Well, it's certainly good to talk to you, but I wish you 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 would call me when the only thing we could talk about would be the Super Bowl or, or the uh, soccer matches. Unfortunately, there's so many other things that we have to chat about. We can't fit it in. <laughs> we'll save that for the end because you're right. There's a lot of stuff. Here's something I want to actually... Just to begin, Dave Collum wanted me to tell you hello. He was on the show yesterday. He told me that you published his first ever article on 321 Gold written under a pseudonym. I don't know when this was, but he's like, make sure you tell Bob I say hi. Uh, we did that. And I will absolutely tell you, it, he is one of the great minds. And anyone who hasn't gone to peak prosperity and read part one and part two, or watch your interview. The guy, it's absolutely brilliant. There's there's half a dozen people now who are so good and so smart, it's well worth uh, listening to them. And, and he sent it to me, okay? And if, I can't explain this. I wish I could have talked to him yesterday. We did, we were the first ones to post him. And he sent me the thing of peak, uh, peak prosperity last week and said, you know, Bob, you were the first people to post me. And I said, yeah. And I was thinking to myself, uh, Dave, why, why don't you send that to us so we can post it? Why do you send it to peak prosperity? But peak prosperity, yeah, so many good readers, they deserve it. And I highly suggest people Go to Peak Prosperity, read what Dave Cullum has to say, and certainly watch your interview. I, I love the guy. Yeah, yeah, he's a crowd favorite on the channel for sure. Now, okay, here's where I want to start today. You have been speaking a little bit about this concept of 15-minute cities. I This was off my radar, to be honest with you, until like yesterday. So what is, what is a 15-minute city, Bob? What is that? Okay, it's a city in which the government has cut the city into pieces, and each piece of the pie will have the medical care you need, will have the uh, transportation hubs you need, will have the uh, grocery stores, schools, etc. It's starting for now in Oxford, and in Cambridge, in the UK, Paris is looking into it, and Melbourne is looking into it in terms of a 20-minute city. And what it would mean is you are restricted to for travel outside your 15-minute city. Uh, I think in the case of Oxford and Cambridge, you could travel outside 100 times a year. And if you travel more than that, they will fine you. And what it is literally is a form of prison. Yeah, that right away sounds like the, the um, storyboard of a very dystopian movie. So the concept, if I understood you correctly, is that I'm sure this is the way it'll be sold, is that we will curate urban centers so that everything you need is within 15 minutes from where you live. Is that kind of the concepts? And that, that, that's absolutely correct. Okay. And the intention, if we're going to talk about that, the why behind this will be promoted as this will 
limit travel um, emissions. This is going to limit um, our impact on the climate. I mean, it's obviously a climate um, narrative, correct? Well, it, it's the climate change narrative, but it's also the World Economic Forum narrative where we want to control everything in your life. And it, it's interesting because every time they try one of these things, it fails, okay? If you think about it, the World Economic Forum, it's a giant EU government where everything is done top down. And the theory of the World Economic Forum is they can control 8 billion people in 195 countries with a GDP of $105 trillion a year, they can do it from the top. Now, the point that I try to make in all of my books is that ordinary people who learn to ask the right question can determine the correct answer for themselves. They don't need to listen to experts. We learned in COVID how much the experts knew and, and frankly, that was the biggest Chinese fire drill I ever heard of. Uh, the experts are not experts, they're frauds. And in this case, ordinary people know big organizations are very unwieldy and very cumbersome. And the bigger the organization, the more cumbersome it is. The very idea that one global community made up of the 1,500 people from Davos should rule the world. That's insanity. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I find myself like running through Nassim Taleb's arguments in Anti-Fragile and how he correlates any increase in interconnectedness and centralization with a massive increase in fragility because for example, when independent systems like restaurants, like restaurants scattered throughout the city, not necessarily connected to each other, when one fails, the industry actually gets stronger because the other entrepreneurs learn the lesson from the failed restaurants and ideally apply that. Whereas banking is the exact opposite. Banks are also all over the world and, and scattered throughout the cities, but they're all connected. And when one bank fails, the industry becomes weaker because of that, right? It's a, it's a source of fragility. So let me back up for a minute here. So <clears throat> the 15-minute city is a concept to contain people within a certain urban area in order to prevent their impact on climate change from excessive and unnecessary travel. And if you were to poke at like a deeper, more nefarious um, reason for this, you would say it's, it's to assert control. Now, what control is gained and why? Is this advantageous to um, the WEF or whoever by containing people in a 15-minute proximity, like travel bubble? What's the what's the gain there for anybody who's looking for authority and control? Total control. Okay. If a person cannot go further than 15 minutes from their home, you own them. They, they have literally just become slaves. Now, of course, what the government will tell you is, no, 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 you, you can travel 100 times a year, and if you travel over 100 times a year, we'll fine you a nominal amount. Mm -hmm. However, if, if you can travel 100 times a year, what's to stop them from saying, okay, now we've got this 15 minutes city set up and it's working so well because we've seen all these changes in the climate. So you don't need to ever live there. It just became a open air prison camp. It's about control. The World Economic Forum is about control. All of COVID was about control. COVID had nothing to do with health. Uh, Fauci had, came up with five different ways of saying what you needed to do with mass, each of which conflicted with the other four, and then said, if you don't believe me, you don't believe in science. COVID, I mean, they're gonna be writing books about COVID for the next 50 years because it was so outrageous. Uh, Ed Dowd, and, and do you happen to know who he is? Who, sorry? 
Ed Dowd, D-O-W-D. Yeah, the name is familiar, but I can't, I don't, I can't place yeah. it. Who, who am I? Uh, you need to do some research into him. Uh, he's another one of these guys who's absolutely brilliant. He used to work for BlackRock. He lives in Hawaii now. He's just published a book about all of the people who have died uh, suddenly, the athletes who have died suddenly from COVID. And yeah. he said 7,500 Americans are killed or disabled every day due to shots. And, and he's somebody you need to look into. But this is about control. COVID was not about health. COVID was about control. The World Economic Forum is not about climate change. It's about control. Uh, the, the fatal flaw is people who have way too much money, they think that having a lot of dollars is exactly the same thing as having a lot of cents. And it's not mm. true. Okay, I, I went through high school at Fort Worth, and we had the sons and the daughters of the people who had made money in the East Texas oil fields in the 30s and 40s. And these 15, 16 year old kids thought they were smarter than everybody else because daddy was wealthy. When you get somebody like Elon Musk, who just set a record, He's the first person in history to lose $200 billion. Yeah. What's the difference between having $1 billion or $15 billion or $50 billion or $300 billion? The answer is absolutely none. When you get people like him, when you get people like Zuckerberg, when you get people like Bill Gates, money is no longer a motivator. They want power. And they are convinced they can do a better job of running your life than you can. And you just raised an interesting issue. This is what I believe. I'm not going to swear it's the truth. It's just what I believe. Economies tend to work. And they work as long as governments don't get involved. And the banking system is a good example because it's under the control of the government. When banks were freewheeling, okay, which they were 100 years ago or 150 years ago, when a bank failed, it made everybody else stronger in the same way that when a restaurant fails. Uh, people, when they're not subject to government edict, have a marvelous way of feeding themselves and giving themselves shelter and, and creating the opportunity for themselves and others. And it's only when government steps in and starts trying to make regulations that it gets screwed up. The one thing that's obvious right now to anyone, we've got $300 trillion worth of debt in the world. We do not have $300 trillion worth of money to pay it off. The debt can never be paid. That is a product of the banking system, and nobody wants to address it. The debt has to be paid. It either has to be paid in terms of taxes or in terms of write-offs or in terms of inflation. All debt gets paid. It gets paid either by the borrower or the lender. If governments would leave economies alone, they would do just fine. Uh, another perfect example that we should definitely talk about Ukraine. Uh, when Putin invaded Ukraine on the 24th, Biden announced a set of sanctions and he admitted that they had been in the works for months and months and months and they had talked to all of the American allies in agreement. I, I wrote a piece that said that sanctions are suicide for Europe. Well, the price of energy shot up and I'm reading reports saying the EU is paying $1.06 trillion more for energy this year than it did last year. Now there is no shortage of energy, okay? It's all an issue of who has it 
And, and what kind of uh, government controls are there in the way? If the governments would get out of the way of people, economies would work just fine. When the governments want to start making all the rules and regulations, then it blows up. And when you get something like the World Economic Forum or these 15-minute cities, we want total control. We want to tell you where you can go. We want to tell you when you can go. We want to make sure you don't go anywhere that you're not supposed to. And certainly the Twitter files that have come out in the last week or so, they should be terrifying to anyone. It means the United States government had 115 FBI, CIA agents telling Twitter who they could post and who they shouldn't post. The FBI, the CIA, and Zuckerberg were the people who swung the 2020 election. Zuckerberg paid between 400 to $600 million. That's the money that went into the couriers and all the fake ballots. And then the FBI and the CIA covered up the Hunter Biden laptop. Uh, that actually, and very few people know this, the FBI had the Hunter Biden laptop under their control for nine months before the New York Post published their article. And the FBI never said anything about it, never investigated, never charged him with any crimes. And then when the New York Post comes out and says, so by the way, the Hunter Biden laptops got all kinds of scurious information on uh, the FBI and CIA, yet 51 intelligent professionals to call it Russian disinformation. When the FBI and the CIA start picking the president, you've got a problem. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want I wanted to pull on a handful of threads there. Um, okay. First, though, I, I just want to wrap up the 50-minute city concept with a couple questions or points. Like I said, this is new to me. I'm kind of like running through this in real time. And as you're talking, I'm simultaneously Googling some of these things. Um, <clears throat> so rolling out in Europe is where this looks to be uh, most active. And a few cities that I saw listed were like Barcelona, um, Paris, but also Portland, Milan, Melbourne, you mentioned Australia, uh, Buenos Aires, and maybe Bogota. Um, interesting, uh, I, I just saw this and I just have to mention, because it'd be funny if it was an anecdote, but it looks like it's maybe just true. Uh, perhaps the most prominent example of an American 15-minute city is to be found in Utah, where a project is being brought forward to replace the Utah State Prison in Draper with a new community plan known as the point which is just kind of funny <laughs> it's, it's kind of like out of the fat into the fire right <laughs> that's and, pretty wild somebody with a really great sense of humor came up with that hey guys <laughs> i got an idea we don't need the prison anymore why don't we cancel it we'll keep the prison we'll just call it something else yeah it's like the definition of hiding in plain sight now, okay, so Bob, what do you what do you think about rural uh, communities? I mean, do you have any 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 thoughts on my reaction to this? Is like, okay, I don't want any part of it. Let's say this becomes a thing; it's rolled out. Canada would likely be a country that would adopt this immediately. In the few cities, I mean, the benefit to being in Canada is that, you know, as as troubling as our federal leadership can be, we're a massive country with very few people focused uh, that live in a very small part of the geography and so the dispersion of human beings through vast quantities of land is tough to manage i would say for a concept like this you could do it in vancouver toronto montreal um that'd be about it probably and not even where i live you know i'm in a town of eighteen thousand people and and you can get rural real fast you know any any thoughts on how a concept like this would it would end up being combative with rural communities because it would not be possible um, any any thoughts on on how those two opposing forces would interact? Uh, the fifteen minute cities are based on the fallacy that climate change is something that humans are responsible for, and only humans can change. 
the Earth is four and a half billion years old. The climate has changed every year, four and a half billion. Anyone who's talking about climate change as, as if it's some kind of crisis is a fraud. They made it up. Every prediction that anyone has ever made global warming, climate change, overpopulation, every single prediction has proven to be wrong. But it's clickbait and it's very popular to believe. Now, we have a greater percentage of pure propaganda than we've ever had in history. I, I think a lot of it has to do with everybody's got computers, everybody's got cell phones, everybody watches television. And, and, and frankly, it's much easier to control people than it would have been even 30 or 40 years ago. But so much of this is absolute rubbish. In, in 1981, the new director of the CIA, William Casey, came out and said, we will know our disinformation campaign is successful when everything people believe is a lie. And we're there. Okay, uh, I'm going to tell you, scouts on it has probably got me 15 non-merit badges. 100% uh, of what we were told about COVID was a lie. And the people who told the lies knew it was a lie when they said it. Likewise, 100% of the mainstream media uh, on the Ukraine-Russian war is a lie. Okay, now how can you go through life and make intelligent decisions if everything you're being told is a lie? And quite bluntly, I take this all back to August 15th of 1971 when Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. You cannot have an honest economy without honest money. We have fraudulent money today. We've got a fraudulent economy today, and everything that everyone is doing is fraud. And when somebody like Putin comes along and says, oh, by the way, the debt-based system of the West doesn't work, and we need to change that, and it will be better for countries and for individuals to go to a resource-based economy rather than a debt-based system, uh, I happen to agree with him, but he's been demonized because the United States has spent 70 years trying to destroy Russia. They are not going to succeed because if they succeed in destroying Russia, the very last thing the Russians will do is push the button. Okay, we, we are playing with uh, a nuclear World War III. On one side, we've got a government run by somebody who's 80 years old and senile, and the military has lost every war they fought since 1945. And on the other side, we've got Putin. Putin is the anti-WEF. I, I think that many people have woken up to the fact that WEF uh, which has been around since 1971. It was founded by George Soros and the Rockefellers and, and, and the Rothschilds and, and uh, Kissinger. Uh, it, it's a fantasy. It, it's a dreamland. And these guys are imagining, look, what would it be like if we could control the whole world? And it's one of those things that governments have always tried and they have always failed. That's the good news, but the bad news is we're going to go through some tough times first. Yeah, okay, so I, I, I want to unpack that. I completely agree it's an impossible endeavor to try to control 8 billion people, and you can find no end uh, to examples of um, government asserting control over large populations and watching it fail. We're kind of watching this right now in the United States, right? The civil divisions and the... Um, absence of any civil discourse are uh, you can't ignore and how are you supposed to govern 360 million people like it's just an impossible feat you can't find um winning ground for that size of a population in canada 36 million people i mean we have less people in california 
Uh, and the same challenge occurs, right? How do you, how do you actually govern millions of people? Like we fail usually after about a hundred to self-organize, right? So, so good luck with that. And 8 billion, like not a chance. Yeah, but, but Jay, you, you got Justin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, he's the man for the job, is he? Uh, well, I, I don't think I would go that far. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting though. I, I had a conversation with um, the former prime minister, Stephen Harper's chief of staff a couple months ago, we met for lunch and we were walking through the Trudeau party and, you know, he, he's obviously conservative uh, politician for his whole life. And he's like, look, I'm clearly no fan of the Trudeau um, uh, party, but when somebody beats you in two elections, you have to look at what they're doing right and what they've, how they've organized has been very effective and that you've got this um, essentially communications plan, which is Trudeau. He's the communications arm of the government, probably never read a piece of policy ever, um, but he's the PR campaign. And then you have Christia Freeland actually, you know, generating policy and, and probably running the country um, behind the scenes. And when it was put to Trudeau, uh, whether or not he should run, it was probably proposed as simple as, look, either you run the Trudeau name or the conservatives are going to win again. And so we need, we need you to do this, you know, and it's interesting, like walking through how that might've been architected and, and how it still runs today. Um, anyways, um, so I'm with you. I, I think any sort of assertion over 8 billion people is destined to fail, but if there's an honest effort to try, we're destined for some severe chaos uh, and if you look at no, the no, civil it, division, it, it's not an honest effort. It is total fraud. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Fraud. I, I mean, funny thing is, I've read all of the books from Schwab, and, and quite bluntly, none of them make any sense whatsoever. And there is no specifics. We're going to do this and this and this. But they keep coming out with things at the G20. Uh, Schwab was there, and he got the G20 to agree to give power to the WHO over national governments that if, by some faint chance, we ever have another pandemic, okay, the WHO can make all the rules. Okay, well, they've already set up the next pandemic. No, nobody knows this. But last October, there was another planning session run by Bill Gates and the WHO uh, about the next pandemic. And they've got another pandemic scheduled. And, and quite bluntly, I mean, it should be obvious to anybody now, COVID was bioterrorism. The plan was to kill as many people as possible. And they're gonna have another one that's gonna be more effective and they will either kill you or they will put you under total government control. This is the biggest crime in world history. All of the data is out there and it's still being ignored. Did you happen to see the video of the football player this weekend who collapsed and had a heart attack on the field? I saw the headlines. Yeah, okay. Uh, that was a classic example of the damage from the shot. And of course, and you're certainly familiar with this, people who were forced to take the shot who had no choices, which effectively means all of professional sports. <laughs> there have been 1,600 athletes keel over from heart attacks on the fields in the last year. There have been 1,100 of them who died from the heart attack. Somebody went in and did a study because they wanted to see how that compared with, with past years. And it turned out more people keeled over of heart attacks uh, in 2022 than the last 38 years combined, which means your chances of keeling over it's an athlete of a heart attack are 38 times higher now. And in, in absolute blunt terms, there is nothing else it could possibly be other than the shot. And of course, the government's sitting there, your, your guy up there, 
of Justin Castro. I don't know why they keep calling him Trudeau. He's not Trudeau. It's not a drop of Trudeau blood in him. He's a Castro. Uh, he wants everybody to take the shot. Biden came out on Christmas Day and said, you need to take the shot. Fauci's last words, you need to take the shot. And one of two things is true. These guys are either dumber than a brick or they're bent. And I'll be blunt, they're bent. This is all deliberate. None of this is an accident. So let me let me throw something back at you here. So you're having this conversation. I'm having this conversation. David Collum is having this conversation. Joe Rogan is having this conversation. Twitter is now a place, finally, where we could have this conversation. And it wasn't a year ago. This conversation would have been silenced. So if there is another scheduled event like you just discussed right right being uh planned right now and maybe sometime in the next few years rolled out there's been some steps taken on the side of the who to increase their resolve and ability and and, and ability to enforce regulation and mandates but there's also a massive increase in the resolve of the opposition the fact that we're having this conversation and hopefully this video doesn't get taken down uh, but you can have this conversation other places, the population opposing it. And I think digging into the details, looking under the hood and saying, wait a minute, like I, I, I wanted to believe people were looking out for our best intentions, but clearly that wasn't the case. And I'm not putting up with that again. I think the opposition is, is stronger as well. And so what happens when these two forces butt heads, right? If there is another sort of rolled out uh, initiative to control, as you described here, it's gonna butt up against a much stronger wall than it ever had before. And I think that's when we get to a place of like, go ahead. Let me, let me give you an answer to that. What do you get when a irresistible force meets an unmovable object in physics? Uh, I, I don't know my physics. Believe it or not, this is a real question. When you have an uh, irresistible force and an immovable object and they come together, you have unmeasurable energy. If people would read the fourth turning, it was a very accurate prediction of the future starting around 2005 where the government would try to go total uh, totalitarian. But in the book, and everybody seems to have forgotten this, is the authors say you can either go full-blown totalitarianism or you can opt for freedom. And quite bluntly, the caliber of the thinking, of the logic of the people who have been anti the narrative is absolutely superb. And slowly but surely, people are waking up. I, I saw something that just really impressed me. On CNBC, a woman commentator said, you know, uh, they've rolled out the vaccines again for the booster shots. And I sent it up for my 16-year-old and my 22-year-old. And I talked to him and I said, okay, guys, uh, I, I've got you scheduled for taking the booster shot. Uh, are you ready? And both of them said, no, we don't think we want to do that. So, and she said, I was absolutely shocked. Uh, there are people waking up to the fact that the mainstream media and the narrative is fatally flawed. I think so. Absolutely, I think so. Yeah, and the, so the, the, the question that I would then ask then is if I think these forces are heading for collision, the irresistible object and the unmovable one, um, I think that when, I think they are colliding now and you're right, this will be a slow um, and very challenging process as this immeasurable energy is created. I think it's erupting now. We're seeing this in a variety of expressions around the globe, civil unrest, et cetera probably just okay, getting let me, started. 
Let me stop you right there because I think you just hit on something that's very important. I think I've talked to you before. I wrote a book in 2016 called The Art of Peace. And basically it was about war and my participation in war. And at the end of the book, in the last few pages, I tried to sum up what I saw for the future. And I said, I think in the near future, we are going to see uh, a worldwide revolution. Now, uh, I could send it to you if I want, but if people do a search, they could find it. Someone just posted on YouTube a, a video of a meeting of the Fed, and the federal directors were sitting around a round table talking about the current situation with the banking system, and the conclusion they came to is, uh, whatever we do, we don't want to tell the public too much because they would panic. When the Federal Reserve tells you not to panic, you got any idea what you should do? Yeah, there's some alarm bells going off, for sure. That would be a really good time to panic, okay? Uh, no question about it. I've said this many, many times. The, the uh depression that started in October, actually didn't start in October, it started in September of 1929, and the market crash was in late October of 1929. From uh, 1929, it took 30 years for the Dow Jones to get back to where it was in September of 1929. We are in a depression. It is being made worse, far worse, by the stupidity of the EU and the US and their energy policies. We have broken the supply chains. We've got potentially World War III on the horizon and the financial system is just waiting for a, for a butterfly's wing in Mexico to flap mm. because that's not only gonna cause a typhoon in Japan, it's gonna cause the financial system to collapse. We are going to have a financial system collapse. I don't give a damn who says what. I don't care who says, recency says the next six months are going to be like the last six months. That's bullshit. Okay. Yeah. For some really bad times soon, it is time to educate yourself. It's time to start making decisions for yourself. And it's time to stop believing the constant barrage of propaganda and lies that we've been fed. Anybody who, who believes the government should go read uh, the, the Twitter files, I think they're called. And when yep. you see the degree to which the United States government was literally telling Americans what they were and were not allowed to say and think, uh, that is uh, pretty scary. Yeah, it's terrifying. Now, I, 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 I struggle with this for one reason. Um, I don't know if struggle is the right word, but I can agree with everything you're saying. I can believe that a financial crash is long, long overdue and eventually will occur. And you're right. If you speak to a generalist retail investor, their eyes will glaze over and they'll say, yeah, right. Look at the, look at the S&P um, over the last 30, 40 years. Like, this is going to be the big one, right? You've said that a hundred times before, right? And it's a rational thing to say when you look at the, if you've been an investor in the market for 10, 15, 20 years, your life experience tells you that the market does one thing. It goes up. Sometimes it corrects and then it goes up again. The Fed comes in and saves the day. So to believe it would happen again is rational, right? I'm not saying it's correct, but I get it. I get why people are hesitant to believe that that could occur. That, that is the recency. Yeah. Uh, context. Recency bias. Yeah. The recency bias of future is going to be similar to the past. However, we had a 40 year bond bull market. Yeah. Is that going to be erased in, in one year? Last year was the worst bond and stock market in 150 years. The British uh, gilts. We're down 52% at one time. And of course, the theory with bonds have always been if the stock market goes down, bonds will go up. And last year, they did not. 
I would say, God, I don't know what the average age of an investor would be, probably 50, okay? They've never been through a bear market, okay? 2000 and 2008 were aberrations, just like the the, uh, uh, Bitcoin, okay? The everything bubble is blowing up. Uh, I saw something at your your guy up there, Pierre. What's his name? I I will never be able to pronounce his last name. Uh, you should get him on the show, and you need to tell him to change his last name so people can at least pronounce it. But yeah, uh, yeah. he he did an absolutely incredible interview, and I just lost my point there. Uh, he did a, a great interview and showed that the real estate market in Canada is still going up. Yep. And the stock market's going down. And, you know, it, it the, the market in Canada is so insane that it has to correct. And I, I was in... The market, I watched the market as early as 1969. I made my first investments in 1970. I watched the market go down until 1984, and then I've watched it go up since then. So I've been through the whole cycle. 95% of investors today, and probably 99% of investor advisors, have never been through a bear market. We are in for the biggest bear market in history. We, we got stuff. Let me give you some of the stuff that could happen this year. What if China, uh, Iran, and North Korea decided to come in on the side of Russia? Mm-hmm. Okay, that is a black swan of all black swans. Uh, NATO, when you say when you say come in on the side, what do you mean by that? Okay, what if China sunk an American aircraft carrier that was right next to Taiwan and North Korea? North Korea sent a whole flock of of drones into South Korea, and the prime minister of South Korea literally came out and said, you know, we apologize. We had no defense against that whatsoever. Uh, The Russians have just sold 24 SU-35 fifth-generation fighters to Iran. So China sinks an aircraft carrier one day. North Korea bombs Seoul the next day, which is all of 30 miles away from North North Korea. And and Iran goes in and and sinks the, the Israeli Air Force. We're messing around with things that are so stupid. The Ukrainian war is the dumbest war I have ever heard of. There is nothing to be gained for NATO or for the US. And they are risking a, a literally World War III. If you're going to go to war, you ought to win something. Okay? Yeah. When you go into a bar and start a fight, Okay, who cares whether the guy cheated the pool? If he's got a good girlfriend, you think, hmm, I'd sure like to have her. She's hot. But you should win something. And there is yeah. nothing for NATO or the U.S. to win. And we're the guys prolonging the war. You know, it's a stretch, but would it, it would be massively advantageous for the U.S. to somehow take control over Russia's oil and gas fields, and you could speculate. Wait, 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 wait. What'd they just do in Afghanistan for 20 years? We couldn't see a bunch of goat herders, okay? (laughs) The United States has started 201 military conflicts since the end of World War II, and I'm hard-pressed to find any of them. We were better off. I was in Vietnam, for uh, t- right at 20 months, I flew over 800 missions in combat, so I am not a supply clerk. Wh- what were we gonna win? Okay, and I've been back to Vietnam twice since then. The dirty, rotten commies run the country 
and they're doing a far better job. It's an amazing country, amazing people, wonderful people, and they're communists. Well, who gives a damn? Okay, I've been to China and I've seen the changes in China. Oh, those rotten commies. Well, the United States, the infrastructure in the United States is collapsing because of the corruption. We can't run an honest election. We can't hold an honest trial. Our education system is teaching white guys that the mere fact of being white means they're racist. We've got 16 definitions. We don't know what, well, a good example. Uh, the woman who was who, who is appoint, appointed for the Supreme Court was asked, what is a woman? She couldn't answer. Now, I, I can answer, I was a Marine. We knew all about that stuff. <laughs> now, Bob, what, so, Here's where I want to go next. Okay. What what are you doing? What should I be doing? I can share what I am doing to best ensure myself against whichever direction this chaos goes next. Because I agree with you that eventually these nefarious initiatives will fail. Asserting power over 8 billion people is impossible. But between here and whatever comes next, there's going to be probably a decade or more of really unpredictable volatility and some pretty dangerous situations. And a lot of people are going to get wiped out and I don't want to be one of them. So it's all about weathering the storm simultaneously, not giving up on, you know, your, your, your business, your participation in society, your belief in community, all that stuff, but also having the insurance policy, whatever that looks like for you, whether that's for me, it's getting out of a city. For me, that's increasing my physical gold holdings. For me, it's uh, actually reducing my overhead with my business and becoming as lean and solopreneur as possible so I can be very agile and, and take my business to any geography that I wanted to. Um, some steps that I've put in place in my life in order to retain sovereignty, knowing that I don't know what's around the next corner. What do you recommend that people implement into their life? What, have you do what are you doing? to ensure yourself through this storm. Talk to me about that. Okay, that's a really great question. And, and you obviously have spent a lot of time thinking about it and doing something about it. I'll tell you what I'm, I've done. Uh, I, I will say absolutely no one can predict what's going to happen. Okay, there are so many variables and it could change tomorrow and it will change tomorrow. So you can't cover every possible eventuality. But if you go into a casino and it's a life or death situation and you're playing roulette, you want to play the odd numbers, you want to play the even numbers, you want to play the red and you want to play the black. Yep. And you're going to get hurt, okay? Everyone is going to lose something financially However, if you've got any sense, you're still going to be able to survive. The single most important asset that anyone has, what, what would you say it is? Um, your, uh, I'm thinking like your creativity, your ambition, your, your intelligence, your brain. Your brain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mankind has been through wars, chaos, calamities in the past, and they've survived. And I actually am very positive. I think we're going to come out of this in, in far better shape because of guys like Dave Cullum, because of guys like Ed Dow, uh, because of guys like you, frankly, okay, who are educating people. Uh, but I am in a really unusual situation, I could run my website with nothing but a cell phone. Mm -hmm. And I could do it from anywhere in the world that's got cell phone service. And I deliberately set up something where I, I had total independence. And I'm lucky enough financially, okay, I don't have to run the business. I don't have to do anything. I'm covered and at most of what I have was gone tomorrow it wouldn't make any difference to me financially whatsoever but i happen to live in a small farming community 
where food is not going to be a problem, uh, immigration is not going to be a problem, drugs are not a problem, the government is more or less, well, they're screwed up like all governments, however, they're not totally corrupt like the United States. Uh, you should not be in debt. You should not take on any margin for any reason whatsoever. You should have some gold, you should have some silver, and you should hunker down and you should talk to your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters and say, okay, we need to have some serious discussions about what could happen in the future. This is a really great opportunity for people to educate themselves and to actually take some responsibility for themselves. This idea that the EU has and Justin Castro has is that the, the government should make all the decisions for you. The government screws everything up. We don't need more government. We need less government. If government will get off the backs of the people, the people would do just fine. So uh, it is both a danger and a threat at the same time. But I, I'm at serious heart attack. We got some bad times coming and, and soon. Okay, not, not years, months. And so most of what we just discussed, interesting, both of us have moved to more rural communities to where the agriculture is, right? Where the food supply comes from. Right. Um, I buy my, my pork and my beef from literally down the street, uh, which is lovely, and chickens as well. Um, don't, don't talk I, about chickens. What's that? Don't talk about chickens. <laughs> Why? I'm not very good with chickens. <laughs> I, I, I'm running the neighborhood KFC, and every weasel in the neighborhood knows that Moriarty is going to run around and buy another chicken, and when he eats another, when it brings another chicken, we can eat it. <laughs> okay. I, <laughs> I, I have hatched 19 out of 20 eggs, and I was really proud of myself for doing that. I mean, so I can tell you all about hatching eggs. However, <laughs> I've had about 10 out of 12 chickens eaten. So uh, we won't okay. chickens. Okay. <laughs> I need to go buy it from somebody else. Right. Yes. I don't go. So that's the thing. Like, you know, you can go really far down this rabbit hole and say you need to remove any independence that you have and and learn how to grow your own food and all this stuff. And I'm just going to be honest, I'm probably not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to be a farmer and a mechanic and an electrician. It's just not, I mean, maybe, but probably not. What you can do instead, though, and this is the middle ground, which I've chosen to pursue, is I just, I know the farmer who grows the, who, who raises the cows, the chickens, the, they know how to do that. I don't need to, right? And the nice thing about living in a small town is that you may not be the mechanic, you may not be the electrician, but knowing them personally just adds a new level of insurance, I feel like, um, to your life. And I, because you can't, it can't be all things. I'm not going to be a homesteader. I'm just not. I'm probably not, right? Forced into it, maybe, but. You you, you're touching on something that's very important. If you go back 100 years ago or 150 years ago, governments didn't make every decision for us. We had to live in a community, which meant we had to get along in that community. And we had to know who could do things. And there had to be some kind of talent that we had for doing things. Uh, this idea that you can be filthy rich by shuffling pieces of paper, that's, that's fatally flawed. That, that simply doesn't work. And I will say in my town, people take care of each other, okay? My wife died three years ago, and it was amazing to me how much the local community really came in to, to try to help me. And they just do that. It's the way that small communities do. And it's worked for thousands of years and it will work again. We need to go back to that rather than counting on governments to bail us out. Governments want to tell you, oh, we can do everything. Klaus Schwab will tell you, I know, you know, we'll tell you exactly. Yeah. Uh, Harari, okay, and there's a really scary guy, that's uh, Klaus Schwab, CTO, uh, believes in transhumanism, and we're going to make people into gods, 
I, I don't want to be a god. I don't think I'm capable of being a god. I would like to be a human and I would like to get along in my society. But um, we, we're at the crisis stage that's in the fourth turning. And it's a, both a threat and an opportunity at the same time. Guys like Dave Cullum, God, that guy is absolutely brilliant. I love listening to him because he covers so much and he's so smart. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I love that. And you know, what you, what you hit on there is it's, it's so strange. I used to live in a city and, uh, you know, in a condo 24, didn't know the first name of a couple of my neighbors, you know, their door is like 20 feet away from my door. You know what I mean? In the hallway. Right. And the, it wasn't strange to not know them. It, they didn't worry about not knowing me. I didn't worry about not knowing them, but that's not normal human behavior. We're herd animals, right? And so to not have some sort of familiarity with your neighbors is strange. It's very strange uh, and foreign and alien. And anyways, um, okay, so one last question that we talked a lot about uh, defensive measures, right? I own gold because there's no counterparty risk. That's what I'm looking for, right? It's like, I don't want to be um, subject to a consequence of somebody else's bad decision. Fiat currency puts you in that position. Gold doesn't. That's why I own gold. You study history. You can't, I don't, I don't know how you can study history and not think you need to own some. Uh, move to the small town, remove your dependence on all the infrastructure and uh, interdependencies of cities. Um, get closer to your community. Um, yeah. Drive your business towards remote competency, 100%. Those are defensive measures. What's the offensive play? Is there in any crisis opportunity, where are you looking to participate in some upside, right? Where's the gamble? What, what are you doing there, Bob? Well, strange enough, in, in the simplest possible terms, that's exactly what we're trying to do right now. Okay, okay. we're educating people. Now, I don't know if you make any income whatsoever from doing all these interviews. I don't make a penny, and I don't care to make a penny. It doesn't make any difference to me. But what we're doing is giving information to people and trying to help people uh, fight better. From an investment point of view, I, I have lots of physical gold and lots of physical silver, and uh, I, in, I invest, I happen to think, um, my opinion is that gold and silver are going to go much higher and the gold stocks and the resource stocks are going to go much higher. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact ratio. In 1929, something like 30% of the Dow Jones uh, was in resources. And... and uh, 1980, at the peak of gold and silver, it was about 3%, and it's about half a percent right now. I, I will say I'm 100% convinced that the idea of going to a resource-based financial system uh, to replace the debt-based financial system is absolutely correct. China knows it. Russia knows it. They've been accumulating gold. And, and frankly, they've got a hell of a lot better hang on what's going on economically than the Federal Reserve does. Federal Reserve trapped. Uh, it's very funny because everybody worries about interest rates and everybody uh, wonders when they're going to go back to QE. It doesn't make any difference what they do. The United States is bankrupt. We need to declare bankruptcy and we need to start all over. And if we started off with honest money, that would be a really great start. It would be. It would be. Yeah, some countries would fare better than others. I think, um, you know, Canada is kind of a, uh, a running joke in these circles because we allegedly own zero gold. In fact, we do own some. The number is hilarious. It's uh, it's something like 70 ounces or <laughs> for a sovereign nation. You're like, what's the point? Yeah, but they, they managed to sell it right at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, 
Well, become your own sovereign nation. I mean, that's the key takeaway from this interview, I hope, is that you can and should focus on building and protecting your own sovereignty. And there are steps that are accessible to anybody. And it doesn't start like, doesn't start by suddenly, you know, filling a safe full of precious, nothing begins that way, but you can begin dollar cost averaging in with what you have. I mean, most people have the ability to achieve some kinds of savings because, savings is typically just the discrepancy between your, your ego and your income, right? Like what, there's usually some space there. You know what I mean? Uh, it may make some hard hopefully. decisions in life, but hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, I, I, I've heard that theory before. I don't know that I can actually verify it. It's great theory. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I heard it from uh, Morgan Housel um, who writes for, uh, used to write for Motley Fool. I don't know where he writes these days, but um, collaborative fund among other places, but yeah, you know, it makes sense, right? Like we all, you know, you sure. generate some income and then you have your expectation of what your life should be. And if that's higher or lower than your income, that'll determine if you're living, um, an asset or liability based life. Um, anyhow, Bob, this has been super fun. I love chatting with you. I love having you on the show. Thanks so much. Uh, it, it's always a pleasure. Uh, you ask some great questions and it's fun to interact with you. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.